Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. This episode of Military Wife Life is proudly brought to you by Defence Bank. Serving those who protect us, Defence Bank have the largest on-base branch network with 37 locations around Australia. They have Army, Air Force and Navy covered. To find your closest branch, visit defencebank.com.au. So welcome, Sarah, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. So you and your husband have been together for nearly 20 years. Can you tell us how you guys met all the way back 20 years ago? We first met in Perth. Um, We just met randomly at Scarborough Beach um, on the New Year's Eve, the 99-2000 millennial. I set up with some friends and his party came along and sat up next to us and we just started chatting. And I think from that evening, we just got along and we were inseparables. At the time, what was your situation work-wise and what was his situation? situation work-wise was he in defense already or was he planning on joining so he was a bricklayer and he had actually just been part of a road accident where he'd been basically knocked off his bike so he was in the middle of a court case to have that settled and I was studying so I was um, doing my bachelor degree of education in early childhood studies and just continue going to study and he did some work whenever he could in between all his appointments but we were in Engaged at three months and then we were married at 11 months and we became parents two months after being husband and wife so we didn't think about the future that far ahead but when the court case was settled and he was trying to find permanent work he had always loved being with planes so he had been in Sydney before he moved to Perth and he had a, an apprenticeship with Pontus and once the case was settled he wanted to get back onto that so he um, ended up becoming a plane engineer with a perling company um, located at Jandicott. So yeah. engaged fairly quickly So we moved in together first and then we just became best friends and it was weird to not be around him. Then we became engaged, just he sort of asked me on a whim and then I found out I was pregnant after our engagement party and then we were married, like I said, about 11 months later and then we had Jacob Uh, My eldest after two months, he was really sick from birth. So that was um, really full on for us as new parents. Two days after his birth, I turned 20. And because he was so ill, he was in hospital every five weeks from when he was born, just with, they weren't sure what was going on. It was just repeated infections for him. Plus I was studying a bachelor degree and he was waiting for this court case to settle at the same time. So um, while we had this tiny bundle that was hard work, I still managed to graduate and Gary managed to find full-time work with the Perlin company. And amongst all of that, out of the court case, we managed to build a house and keep working. And it was a blessing that I guess to be so young and we were managing all of this because we had so much energy just to keep pushing forward. So you went from from being single to meeting the love of your life, getting engaged, pregnant, married, having a baby and building a house, settling the court case, finishing uni. We also had a heap of doctor's appointments and hospital stays for every hospitalization Jacob had every five weeks he was in hospital for about a week so Gary and I used to alternate so I'd work during the day and then he'd be with Jacob and then I'd come in and stay overnight and then I'd head straight back to uni the next morning and then Gary would come in so we'd tag in and out. And so how did it come about that Gary decided to go from the job that he was in to defence? So he was working 
at Jandicott and the Perling company were actually relocating to Darwin. So we had a bit of angst about that because I was a new graduate. So the money was tight and we had these medical bills and a new home. And now Gary's job security was a bit of an issue. So he really had loved planes going from Qantas to the Perling company. And um, so he looked into the defence force and I didn't realise he was doing this. This was all off his own back and he had investigated it and spoken with a few people and before he sort of presented the case to me, I guess. He was running at the front. I was like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just, gonna, I'm just getting fit. I'm just doing this beep test. And I was like, okay. Oh my and gosh. Then, yeah. And then I was like, okay, that's great. My husband wants to be fit. And then he sort of said, well, actually, I think I'm going to try and join the defence force. They've got benefits. I think it'll be really great for us. It's job security. I get to be with planes. And we we, had, we didn't know anything about moving around. I didn't know anything about defence. I've had never had anything cross my past in regards to RAF or Air Force or Navy. So it was a real eye-opener. So for that drive to be in something consistent, he trained, like I said, doing the beep test and he studied. After all the entry tests, he had asked what the difference was between all the different arms now. I can say that. I understand what it means. Yep. And they had said between the fixed wing and the rotor wing. So that's how he ended up going into the Air Force over um, the Army and the Navy. What job did he eventually go on to do and does it take him away a lot? What does it require? When he applied, they have like this survey of what they can apply for and what they can't apply for. But he basically stuck with what he knew because he had previous experience at the other sectors. And so he calls himself a black hander, which is the aircraft engineer. So they break him and he fixes them, as he says. So he's been on Hornets or the Jets for the majority of his career. And just for some diversity, I guess, to assist with promotion for what I understand, is that he went and trained with another aircraft, which is how we've ended up in Adelaide. So he was a whaler. I wasn't aware. I don't know what I thought, to be honest. I think I was just going, oh, it's another adventure. We've got a baby. You know, let's do this. So he's been in for nearly 15 years and we've worked out even in the last three years, he's only been home three months of every year between shift work and deployments and exercises. So there's a lot of overseas and domestic exercises and they go for at least a month at a time. And then there's the shift work, which could be night shift or early morning shift or the normal day shift. And these are meant to be on a rotation, but if someone's away and then Gary steps up to take on the duties. So they could be a two-week rotation, might extend into like a two-month rotation. So In saying that, what was your actual introduction to defence life like? Pretty much like a shock to the system considering you said you didn't have any idea really what you're in for. Yeah, I just sort of took it in my stride, I guess. So when he joined up, I was actually, well, he was applying. I actually found out that I was pregnant with our second child and it was sort of planned. And I was like, I'll be fine. And my mom was like, he's not going to be here and he's going away. And I said, yeah, it's fine. We're looking at the bigger picture here. He's going to be working, doing what he loves. It's, you know, job security. We, I had planned to stay in Perth with my family. I've got, got quite a big family in Perth and Gary's family's quite, he's got, aunties and uncles and cousins so I thought oh we could fall back on them and have them as a safety net too and we had planned to go MWDU which I hadn't realized what it meant at the time and that was just for the three months training in Edinburgh and I'd just remain at home and keep up with medical appointments for Jacob and keep working and growing and just getting on with family life and then the issue what happened for me to actually I guess take a running leap and just join Gary at the posting is that Jacob fell really ill he had always been ill as I'd said but he came home from school one day and he had this odd rash all over him and I called the health line and they thought it was meningococcal and I was like oh god I was nearly eight and a half months pregnant I think and I took him to the hospital and um, to the doctors and they're like you just have to take him straight to the hospital because he just started getting all these big blossoms 
forms of, I guess, like blood bruises under his skin and they couldn't work out what was going on. So we ended up going to hospital. He had to have all these blood tests and he was freaking out. And he's what actually had happened is that he was crying blood because his blood wasn't clotting. So he had something called ITP. So he didn't have enough platelets in his system to help with his blood clotting. So the speckling was just because someone had rubbed his back, just put up all these um, speckles on him. He fell over when we were at the doctor's surgery and he got this massive blossom of blood under his skin. And we were just thinking, oh my God. So I'm pregnant. Gary's and Wog are freaking out because Jacob was admitted to hospital released a week later on these steroids and they give him the wrong dosage so then he crashed again and his blood you know it's life-threatening so I went back into hospital with him and Gary's in Wagga talking to the chaplain going what should I do my wife's pregnant my son's possibly dying what's going to happen and he ended up coming back to Perth so was the reasoning to... behind him hesitating because some people might not oh, know sorry. that once you're on a course if you come off it you have to start again or what was what was happening yeah that's it? correct so when they go in, once they've done their three-month training, then they go to Wagga to do the engineering course. So they have that for, I think it's nine to 12 months. So once you're on the course, you basically stay on that course. And if you come off that course, because it's so intense, then you could fall behind modules, you could fall behind assessments. So because he was potentially going to be missing a week, he could be missing you know, two or three modules and assessments. So he wouldn't be able to keep up with the rest of his course members and coursework. So he would essentially almost have to start from a certain point and join a whole new course with new trainees and I guess instructors so that was why it was such a big deal for him to give up what he was doing then and there and come back and they had to work out if he would be able to rejoin um, whether he'd have to wait for the cycle to be sort of allocated again yeah Yeah, so he made the call and came back and it happened that I spoke to my obstetrician and Jacob was released the next day Gary is back for three days and um, he was released and then I went in the next morning to have our second child so they managed to induce me while Gary was there for the week. So he would be there for the birth. So So otherwise, was Gary going to miss out on the birth or had he planned to come back? No, no, he was going to miss out. Kind of blessing in disguise, kind of not wanting to have that happen, but worked out okay. Yeah, (laughs) Everything seems to be a blessing in disguise in some sense. Trying to find the blessing and the silver linings and everything that happens. So my sister and my mum were going to be at the birth and Gary wasn't, we hadn't really thought about it, but I hadn't thought he was going to be there at all. So the fact he was in the same state at the same time and it was only the um, Evelyn her name is um, was quite large they said yep we can induce her she seems healthy enough aside from that obviously Jacob was stable you had the baby but then Gary went back or what happened like yeah you've got one and a very sick child Gary went back two days after Evelyn was born back to Wagga and before I had gone into hospital with Evelyn we had actually packed up our house and I was living with my mum just trying to work out what we were going to do because we had intended to rent the house so I was living with my mum And when Gary came back for that week, we sort of went, we can't do this. We can't live for the next, you know, nine months without you being here, without you seeing your daughter, with this going on with Jacob. We need to be together as a family unit. So we ended up packing up. I had to break the news to all of my family and they were completely devastated, as was Gary's family. And 12 days later, with a newborn and this little boy who I'd lined up all the doctors with in Wagga, we were all together. I was unpacking the house and Gary was there. I remember Evelyn's the first night because it was such a rush. The first night, Evelyn slept in 
a suitcase because we couldn't oh. put this cot we couldn't put the cot together. So we had opened it up and padded all the blanks and stuff <laughs> and everything. So we just made do and it was just it just felt right to be together as a family. Seems to be yeah. a theme in your life that um things just happen really quick and just work yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. Yeah. yeah. I guess less yeah. less time to worry about it. So it ended up being a good first posting to Wagga. And then you've also mentioned that you ended up being connected with some specialists who ended up helping you with Jacob's diagnosis. What had happened is in Perth, we had specialists and pediatricians, but because Jacob was always ill, so because he was so little and so sick, he used to vomit like up to 12 times a day. And I don't just mean like a little burp, I mean projectile vomiting. So he wasn't able to keep food down. He had to have surgery for adenoids and grommets. He had a sleep study. He went up testing for MS and cystic fibrosis because they had no idea what was wrong with him. They just knew that there was this inexplicable reason why this child just got these random illnesses there was no he got asthma even though he wasn't asthmatic he was told he was obese because he was so short because he wasn't growing but because he was on steroids he was chubby so there was just a complete mixed bag and then when we went to Wagga I had lined up pediatricians and specialists because I knew he would need them and in Perth he'd also been diagnosed with an intellectual impairment and then when we walked into this Wagga pediatrician the first appointment he was so lovely he sat there and he looked through all of this information they had discovered even though I had sort of thought it for a long time that he was allergic to um, milk protein and legumes and soy and that is the base of the thickener for formulas and baby food and so anything that we were trying to give him to help him gain weight was actually poisoning him so he was throwing up from it so that's why he went on that um, formula and that's how he got better so we were in hospital for two weeks and they monitored him and they watched his weight and he just you know he was always happy child and he's still a happy child but um, they just watched him put on weight and um, yeah we're thankful for it It was a specialized prescribed formula for him so when we got to Wagga and the doctor looked over these notes and said so he was six and he had lost all his hair with failure to thrive his growth was still very slow and the pediatrician had said this isn't because of failure to thrive he should have picked up by now his hair should be back he should be back to normal size if he, if all these nutrients hitting him and he's not vomiting as much as he is anymore there's something else going on he was actually a, what they call a genetic counselor so he specialized in particular syndromes and he was explained to me that Jacob had something back then it was really rare and it was called Noonan syndrome and it basically is like a spectrum so you can get it quite severely in that how the bones are formed that you, you know dwarfism they can have be blind they can have quite a a severe heart problem but Jacob is sort of in the medium ground so he's got a severe intellectual impairment and the way he walks his bones are formed a bit funny Um, but the reason that he was vomiting and the reason he did have baby to thrive was because of this syndrome it wasn't because that we were young parents and we didn't know what we were doing that we were being neglectful it was just because of the syndrome everything that had happened was because what they call a genetic mutation and no doctor um, had picked that up before or done any testing for no, anything. nothing. 
because he was just so sick all the time, I kind of think it was a band-aid process. They just kept putting on trying to fix what was in front of them at the time rather than trying to delve as to why things were happening. And it was just, it was such a relief. I couldn't believe it. Like we'd been in this capital city and then we went to this, you know, rural town and they had an outpatient clinic. So he sent us along to this outpatient clinic because Westmead specialists came up from the clinical centre there and they looked at Jacob and they sort of analysed him and they took his blood and back then you could only send bloods over to Italy to be analysed and only 50% of the time would it say if the gene was present to identify that he has Noonan syndrome so you could send the bloods it didn't mean anything so in some sense so they gave him what's called a clinical diagnosis so they based it on all the symptoms and how he presented and his history so far and that's how he was diagnosed with Noonan syndrome and so, again you weren't even planning on going to Wagga and it ended up being yeah. another blessing we were where we were meant to be I guess so not that you want all those things leading up to happen but it worked out that's exactly right. You guys were then classed as a defence family recognised with special needs? Yes. So when he was diagnosed and we realised that we'd have to go to Sydney, to Westmead, to continue with assessments and reports and that this was actually going to be quite involved. This wasn't just an asthma attack we could get some medication for. Gary had spoken with, again, with the chaplain. The chaplain's been such a great force in our life, in defence life, always a great point to access. He had heard about defence with special needs. So once we received a diagnosis from the paediatrician, um, we, you have to get signed off by the CEO and submit it through DCO and some other streams. Yeah, and then we became recognised as a family with special needs. Yeah. And I guess if Gary was in any other job, you wouldn't be getting any kind of extra support for Jake Mm-mm. medically. Or- no, and even in normal life as a teacher, I get school holidays, which is great in some sense. I still have to work, but I can work from home. But I've always had to work full time because Jacob is such a enigma. He always seemed to just fall outside the boundaries because he also has autism. He has ADHD. He has a whole range of comorbidities, which means that he has a lot of diagnoses that come up every year in relation to how he walks, how he talks, how he eats and how he's growing as well. So it can be a bit of a, sometimes they need hormone, I guess, replacements to help with their growth process. So being with Defence, it alleviated some of that because I had to work full time just to pay for the therapy because we weren't entitled to Centrelink, we weren't entitled to any of the disability allowance because it was rare they didn't really recognize it as such being with defense made a big difference so at any point did you sort of think how are we going to cope with moving to different places now that we have a diagnosis and you know being away from friends and family back home did you ever question whether the lifestyle would fit in with your family when we first joined the defence life and we knew Jacob was a challenge and I was pregnant and then I had the new baby, we actually were told, oh, you'll be, you'll be going back to Perth then, you know, straight after work, you'll be fine, you'll be back to Perth. Or if not, you'll be, you know, you'll be after two years, you'll be there back in Perth in two years. So at the time I was like, oh, we'll be fine. No dramas. We'll be back in Perth with family. Hey, Military Wife Life community. I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the Defence Bank Foundation and the great work they're doing in the defence community. The foundation raises funds to support serving and ex-serving ADF members living with injuries or illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder. 
In 2019, the sole beneficiary of the foundation was the Defence Community Dogs Program, a specialised dog training program which rescues abandoned dogs and trains them through correctional services. 40 service dogs have been trained and given to veterans since the Defence Bank Foundation was established. The program gives dogs, inmates and veterans a second chance at life. And then I've sort of realised over the years that that's just a pickup line to get you to a posting. So because it's like a two-year Rosa, you're going to be there for two years and then it becomes three years and it becomes five years or you might be moving after two years, but it's not back to where you want it to be. So we kind of, again, just took it in our stride. And when Gary was finished up at Wagga, he actually was ducks of his course and for some reason was able to choose whether he could go to Tyndall or Sydney. So we sort of researched it. His family was based in Sydney but he came from Sydney and he also heard that the base there was really full on and he just had no desire to go and we sort of decided that because Tyndall is remote with the benefits and we looked up the access I could do therapy with Jacob at home with the doctors he was a bit more stable and with the benefits of being defense of a family with special needs we sort of decided that we'd go up towards Tyndall on a new adventure and see how we would go. And how did it go? It went really well. So it was amazing. Tyndall is a posting like no other. It really is a bubble posting. So being, I guess, a family with special needs with Jacob, he settled in to school there and he was really sick straight up. And we realised afterwards it was probably anxiety, but being that I didn't have to work because of the allowances and Gary was now graduated so his pay had gone up it gave me a bit of flexibility and also Evie was still only one so um I took a part-time job and I was able to juggle and we were able to book appointments up in Darwin for Jacob's specialist so defense paid for that so they would pay fuel and I guess meal allowances to get up to the appointment they wouldn't pay for the appointment if there was a waiting list they would they'd help you get into a private doctor because you never know where you're going so you could get in and see a doctor to get reports and so on and they'd they pay the difference of whatever it was so that was really great so we'd go up every couple of weeks it was a six hour round trip you know it's three hours to Darwin and three hours back so sometimes the appointments were late or sometimes the appointments were quite early and because it was within a certain time frame the defense would also pay for you to stay there for a night so if we got the first appointment of the day that meant we could either go up the night before or if we end up getting a late appointment then we'd stay the night of that appointments and then leave the next morning so we would try and line it up with family coming in so if they come up from Perth and we also being in Tyndall you also were allowed to get capital city flights so you could fly to see family you could fly family up so we definitely utilize that we love being up at Tyndall it was unforgettable we call it like I said a bubble as the world has really kept at bay we made lifelong friends best friends we made in Wagga actually joined us up there about four months later and our daughters were only three months apart so they've grown up together so they went to kindy together you know it's so wild up there we went camping we really developed to love the country music real community feel up there yeah they had events all the time um, I think because it was so remote they would hold raffles you'd have balls get tizzed up in your dresses and your shoes there'd be competitions karaoke it was just you just lived on base when you get classed as a family with special needs what are the extra entire 
entitlements that you're able to access in general? So on top of being able to, if you're in a remote locality, you can access specialists. So we could have flown back to Westmead. They would have paid for the flights if we needed to do that from Darwin to Sydney because it's capital city to capital city. Um, they, you know, allow for travel allowances. They'll cover depending on doctors' waiting list times because Jacob's got some physical difficulties. Um, housing, we also get housing allocations and travel times. So depending on where we're going between postings, sometimes we can ask for an extra day just in case Jacob gets anxious or he needs a break. The doors in our house, we have to have push down handles, not twist handles because he's unable to use those. Same as taps. We also, he has severe allergies. So we get an extra day in accommodation because he can't be around the box dust when we um, unpack and when we arrive. So he tends to stay in accommodation while Gary or I are here and you know getting everything unpacked and with carpet as well so we we always have to ask the owners but we can also ask for the carpet to be replaced so one of our houses in Catherine everything was tiled because it was too hot for carpet but in Amberley we just had one room so just his bedroom was pulled up and here in Adelaide we've had the whole house has been done which has been brilliant so the whole even the stairs everything's been replaced with lino so accommodating like it's a dream as I said having a child with special needs and with severe special needs I think we wouldn't have had the same lifestyle we would have if we hadn't joined Defence Force and so where did you guys go from Tyndall what was the next um, stop we ended up going to Queensland Amberley so we started looking for a house and within six months of being in Amberley we had bought a house a real fixer-upper so we had chosen an acreage block and it was brilliant it was we loved it and we still love it and so during this time while you're juggling everything obviously Gary going away and working and adding another child and obviously Jacob's medical needs you're also working during that time as well how were you fitting that in and how were you nurturing your career alongside all of that um I'm very organized (laughs) I'm probably a bit OCD about everything being a teacher you have to stay current so I think I basically based my career with my children. I'm an early childhood tra- trained teacher, so I can go from zero to what I thought was year seven, but actually I've been asked to teach high school and um, work with students' services, um, which is those with special needs. So my degree has actually catered really well to defence life. I don't just get pigeonholed into like two to five years at a school, so it's been very beneficial. So I basically did what I could and I just kept my CV up to date. I took on trainings everywhere possible. When we were in Catherine, I had worked at all of the schools and I made connections because my children, Jake was at school. So I had worked on the base as the director and teacher at the base centre there. And then I, once I had Sam, I went to work at the Catholic school. And then I was like, no, I don't want to do this. It's too hard being away from my kids. And I ended up starting a home daycare or it was mainly kindy because everyone was preschool age. So I would have all the preschool students in the morning and the preschool students in the afternoon and then after school students. And that was at home. And that was just wonderful and worked so well. Was part of keeping your career going and having a job outside of what you were juggling with the family about 
having something just for you? Definitely. I worked really hard for my degree. I had just met Gary. I had just got into uni and then I had this baby and it's a four year degree and I only extended it by six months. I'd studied full time while being in hospital with Jacob while, you know, trying to build a house, trying to sort out Gary in the court case. And I was thinking, I have to make this count. I have to make this worthwhile. So quite driven to make it work, I guess. And I also bring my own financial, I'm quite independent. So I also need to have some financial accountability for myself. I know mental health is really important. And especially, like I said, to therapy for Jacob, we couldn't have all that early intervention, which was so integral to his development if I hadn't worked. When I get to a new posting, I usually reach out, get my first aid. Every state's different. Every state you need to do a new process and need to be registered again. And that gets very tiresome, but I know what needs to be done. So sign myself up and I send out CVs and resumes and touch base with people. And I usually get work within a week or two. I've never been short of work. It's just hard initially to make sure I'm able to get that work. How do you manage moving to different areas and getting in contact with different medical professionals for Jacob and getting across all of that when you move to a new area? I sort of go into, I guess, a prep mode. So when I know we're leaving, I'll start to line up appointments. So Jacob needs probably about nine specialists. And before we leave a posting, I book appointments with all of them because every posting you go to, it's going to be a waiting list of at least three months. And now it's up to nearly a year to get into people. So I would get all the reports and a outline of what the issues were with him. And then I'd let the support team know that we're going to be calling on you. You're probably going to get a call from these new specialists. And I'd get referrals as well for the new state of who they recommended and ask for emails so I'd get an email copy and a hard copy and just I guess make sure everything's up to date in regards to his growth if there's any new information that they can shed on it. So any advice for other defence families who are maybe just navigating special needs what are the first steps that they need to take to get recognised? Have a lot of documentation as in making sure you're booked with a paediatrician that you have or a psychologist every state's different to get a diagnosis of some sort so in Tyndall we needed a psychologist and a paediatrician I think in Amberley we needed an occupational therapist in Adelaide it's somebody else again so make sure that when you get your report done it's within six months to a year it's current then you can highlight and make a list of what you need, what you think you need to have the best day possible for your child and the best support. So when we moved to Adelaide, we I actually asked for a fifth bedroom because I thought Gary was going to be away quite a lot um, because he was on a new plane. The exercises were going to be back to back basically. And I said to Gary, I'm going to need help here. So we applied and we popped it in and we spoke, make, make sure you've got a good rapport with your paediatrician. And he popped it in the report, same with the handles, with the taps with the carpet you know they explain everything and we submitted that report because every posting you have to reapply as a family with special needs you have to make sure you're recognized again and you have to be verified again but my husband had that signed off and then it's passed on to the orderly room you know there's no harm in asking so all they're going to say is no and if they say no then you can ask next time and work out why they said no so you've got to do what's best for you and your family a lot of the time there's been lots of things for you to focus on at each posting you know getting medical professionals sorted getting jacob mm-hmm. sorted your other kids sorted your husband going away coming back <laughs> different locations <laughs> How did you think that would work alongside with your career? I think from posting to posting and 
home to home and suburb to suburb, I've just been grateful to get my foot in the door and for the process to go through. Being a 15 years teaching now in Adelaide, I think I found it really hard to bear the brunt of defence life. I hadn't really thought about it before. You know, teaching is quite flexible in that you can go in and do something. And the issue I've had is that every state we go to, it's a different pay scale. It's a different registration board I have to go through. And I was fine with that before. I was like, yeah, it's all right. It's just not a big favour. I can do it. But it's been really hard because I, I do love to work and I love being around children, um, you know, making the most of their day, especially with Jacob, seeing how important early intervention is and making the best of those early years, the most of them. I had just always wanted to do what I could with the time I had. But of late, I've really felt that the constant trying to get my foot in the door, talk myself up without sounding vain, you know, making those opportunities for myself has been really hard. You know, I've done quite a bit in that I've started up kindergartens or I've implemented the curriculum within long daycare centres. And I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of teams. But when you come to a new place, I've had to start that again, or I've had to really not make myself known, but I'd like to move out of the classroom into something a bit more focused to support teachers for children special needs but if I stayed in one position at one school I would have built that connection up and that longevity to be able to apply for a new role um, that might have come up in leadership and that doesn't happen when you move from state to state all the time so you kind of have to come out of left field and yeah. just have a go so that's really been the hardest and so you so. mentioned that you're posting back to Queensland and that it's a medical discharge your husband's been diagnosed with PTSD can you tell us about when that happened and what the process with being diagnosed was? So we arrived in Adelaide and quite excited about the posting. Um, a new state, completely different to anything we knew. We were very sad to leave Queensland. We had sobbed because we have our house and a great support network there and I had a fabulous job. But we were just making the most of what we had and we knew that Gary had to fly out to America within a week of us arriving in Adelaide for training and he was going to be in America for three months and because it was beginning of school holidays the kids and I had organized to fly to Perth so Gary unpacked the house actually he just left the boxes in the house and he went to America two days later Gary wasn't due back until about March so I lined up the specialist and kept busy with kids did all the courses did all my applications for teaching and then Gary came back and he'd had a really hard time in America. So I'd had a couple of calls from friends going, Gary, you're right. And he had actually been based in Las Vegas. So I said, if you're there and you're working, you may as well make the most of it. So he was doing all this great stuff, but he still sounded like he was really struggling. You know, he missed us more than usual. He was calling mates up all the time, just having big conversations with them, GNMs. And when he came back, he was great. He wasn't drinking and drinking wasn't a big issue. You know, it's always been a social lubricant as it is in many situations, but yeah, he was just maybe detoxing from being on trips. So he um, completely abstained. We had a great time. It was a great couple of months. Then he went to work Anzac Day and he hurt his back and he came back Anzac Day. The previous year, he was deployed overseas on Anzac Day to an operation in the Middle East. And in Adelaide, he went to medical and they gave him some strong pain relief. And then he was off work for three weeks in these strong painkillers. And I don't know whether he should have been on them for as long as he was, but he went back to work 
three weeks after and I think he had picked up the kids because I'd been at work and he was out the back and the kids had said something's wrong with dad and I said okay all right so I went out the back and Gary was hosing or gardening and he was just sort of bent over and he was shaking a bit and I said are you okay and he said something's not right I've had a major anxiety attack something's not right and I said okay you need to go to medical you know, something's not right. You need to go. You know, we had such a fabulous time in Adelaide exploring and then all of a sudden he just snapped and changed. I was like, oh, this isn't good because this happened on a Friday. The weekend was really bizarre. I remember we went to the beach and the dog ran, but Gary was between being silent and being really angry, quite erratic, forgetful, super attentive. It was just mood swing central. And he went to medical on Monday morning. I was really surprised that he actually, you know, took my advice on board. And he was sent home with some, I think, calming tablets of some sort. And they they had him booked in for an appointment on Wednesday. So he just let me know what was going on. And they were actually doing, it's called a mental health assessment on the Wednesday. And he came home the Wednesday and he has said, I'm being admitted. They're just trying to get a bed for me yet. And even then I'm like, okay, yep, no worries. I wasn't really, I don't know why I wasn't super worried because he was so internalized. I think he had put on quite a good front. I was like, okay, yep, no worries. And when they said, when he said I'm being admitted, I was like, "Mm -hmm." again, he's been admitted within a day or two of needing surgery on his shoulder or his finger or anything. So again, I was like, okay, maybe they're keeping you in observation. No worries. Yeah. Looking back now, I, I thought there must've been some sort of mental health issue happening because the way he was his moods were swinging so much and how he had been fine like he'd been really great and that sort of shift when he came back from America and I sort of I thought maybe he's got depression but I hadn't really realized the extent of it and then joining the dots now obviously that's what's happened but his parents had flown in the same weekend and I'd gone to work on the Thursday thinking everything was all right and he had actually started drinking as soon as I left the house and he managed to drink I think about a bottle and a half of bourbon and then I was at work and I got these phone calls from some friends in Sydney and Perth and they were saying where's Gary are you with Gary I was like no he's at home they're like he's not at home and they were telling me he doesn't sound right he's you know really upset he's crying it sounds really bad you need to go and find him so I left work and I went home and I came home and I said, well, where's going? The mum and dad were like, oh, he went out. I was like, you let him leave the house. It was very like, don't let him drink. Don't let him leave the house. You know, something's not quite right. We, you need to keep an eye on him. And I, I didn't realise severity, but I was following the doctor's instructions. And I just drove around. Because of the estate we live in, there's lots of parks. I had no idea where he was. He wasn't answering his phone. I was ringing it to see if I could hear the phone. So I was driving really slowly with my windows down. And I was just sort of going back and forth, thinking, you know where could he be um they say he's in a park and then I just again I just managed to find him I don't know how it happened but I just managed to find him and he was sort of tucked around the corner in this barbecue area and he had a mug and his headphones and he was just it was just horrible horrible to see so um sorry very confronting when you know not long before this he was Gary your husband and then all of a sudden he there's this huge change in him yeah and I think the fact that he'd gone so fast from being like I'm going to doctors and yep this is it's fine we'll get this sorted to I can't cope this isn't I can't do this 
Next week, part two of this episode, Sarah will talk us through her husband's admission to hospital and how she supported him throughout that time, his PTSD diagnosis, what happens when you are suddenly looking at discharge, how she's able to see the silver lining no matter what situation her family is in, and what she's looking forward to when they post back to their home and support network in Queensland. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 